Good morning. Uh, my name is Mark, and I just want to again welcome you to uh, Lagan Valley Vineyard this morning. I'm going to describe two uh, personality types, and I want you to think for a minute which of these personality types that's kind of closest to your character. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to do that in a minute. The first personality type I'm going to call a journey person. Okay? And if this is you, then the process of getting somewhere or the process of doing something is as important, if not more important, than arriving at the destination or achieving the goal or finishing the task. You love to enjoy the journey. You can stop, take in the scenery, value the moment, and your reward is learning and discovering new things about yourself, discovering new places, discovering new people along the way that enrich your life and enrich your journey, the journey person. The other type of person is a destination person, and you're all about the destination, getting to the end as quickly and as efficiently as possible. The journey or the process, well, that's just a means to an end or a means to the end. You're focused on finishing and determined to avoid distractions or being sidetracked, and your reward and your sense of achievement comes by finishing or arriving at the destination. Job done. Excellent. So I want you to think about which of these two personality types you. So, so first of all, hands up if you're a destination person. You think they just get it, to be honest, from over this? Well, I am a destination person, without a doubt. And this has played out all uh, of my life. I remember as a child coming up to Christmas, we used to get these uh, advent calendars, but I, like I, they, they did my head in. Why wait 24 days opening these windows? Like, that's really boring. So I would have had them all open and eaten all of the chocolates on the first day. And every year, I made it my mission to find the Christmas presents and open them and play with them. And I became an expert. And no matter where my parents hid the presents, I would always find them. And hopefully they didn't know, but I would get them out and I'd play with them. I didn't want to wait to Christmas Day. That was like, that's too long. I can't wait for that. It's played out in my life. I am a destination person. I'm all about getting to where I'm going. One final question is anyone in a relationship with someone who's the opposite type? Oh, there's a few, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a few, definitely. Well, a few honest people amongst us. So I am married to a journey person, and if I'm honest, this has led to some tension, <laughs> some frustration, and the odd disagreement in what is otherwise a perfect relationship. And it plays out all the time uh, in my marriage and in my family. If we go out for a meal, Yvette loves to talk and to savour the food and the surroundings and take her time over the meal. Well, I'm all about the eating. I'm focused. I'm finished in 10 minutes. I'm looking at my watch and I want to go. And that's only when we go to McDonald's, never mind anywhere else. If we're on a family road trip, trip I am Mr. Focused on the destination. Yvette's like, look, a beautiful beach, can we stop? Or look, a forest or an ancient monument, can we stop and discover and, and explore and find out all about this place? And I'm like, what? I'm focused. 
she, she even pulls this one. Mark, I really need to go to the toilet. Can we please pull over? And I'm like, la, 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 la. <laughs> Must not stop. Must not stop. Get to the destination. I do my family's head in all the time as well. We go for a walk. I want, go, I want to go as far as we can, as high as we can, as quickly as we can. We don't have time to enjoy scenery. That's boring. We need to get there and we need to get back as quickly as we can. We were in France a few years ago and we decided to hire these kayaks as a family and a vet. It was a vet's idea and she wanted a nice gentle sort of paddle in the water, discovering new things, maybe stop and have a picnic and have an explore. Meanwhile, I discovered that there was this weir at the end of the river that we just about get to in the time we've hired the canoe. So off we went, paddling like Olympic champions. <laughs> and we eventually got to this weir and it was beautiful. But right, we haven't time to stop. We need to get back. So we're paddling back fast as we could. By the end, they had given up and I had three canoes tied to my boat and I was hammering away to get back in time before our time was up. It plays out all the time. My family could tell you stories and stories of what I'm like. I am a nightmare. I really do. I am a nightmare. Uh, pray for my long-suffering wife. We're actually married 20 years this Wednesday. I do not know. Yes, thanks. I don't know how she has put up with me for 20 years. I've definitely, God's used me to develop patience in her life. (laughs) Given all this, you probably guess that I'm not the most patient person in the world. And I'm not very good at waiting. And I constantly need to work on trying to be more patient. Over the next four weeks, in this season of Advent, leading up to Christmas, we're going to unpack what it looks like for us to wait as a community. We really felt that God was speaking to us, and he spoke a few weeks ago and waiting, and we feel that's a really significant word for our community. So we're going to kind of unpack that. What does it look like to wait? To wait with hope, to wait with peace, to wait with joy, and to wait with love. This morning our reading was from Luke 2 and we're introduced to this man called Simeon and he plays like a cameo role in the Christmas story. We don't know much about Simeon, we're not told what he did, what job he did, what age he was, if he had a family, we're not told where he was from. All we're told is that Simeon was waiting. He was waiting for God to fulfill his promise to him. Verse 25, let's read uh, the scripture. Now there was a... He was waiting for the called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was a man seeking after God. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. God had given him a promise that before he died, he would see the Messiah. A little background to uh, the state of play at the times. Things weren't going particularly well for the nation of Israel at, at that time. They hadn't heard from God for many years, and they were under an oppression and under Roman rule. 
They'd lost their political independence. They were living in fear of the infamous King Herod. They were being taxed heavily and unjustly. They were being led by hypocritical religious leaders who kind of sold themselves out to Rome. They had their land and their wealth stolen from them. Their children's faith was being undermined as, as the Greeks and the Romans taught them their values. They were poor. They felt abandoned by God. And there was no sign of the Messiah coming or God fulfilling his promise to rescue them. So all in all, it was not a good time for the nation of Israel. And people were in despair. People were confused. People were wondering, well, where is God in all of this? Yet in the midst of this, we're told about this man, Simeon. And he had not lost hope. Despite the circumstances, despite what was going on politically, despite what was going on socially, despite what was going on economically, despite what was going on around him, he was faithfully waiting, faithfully trusting in God and what God had said to him, full of hope that one day, before he died, he would see the Messiah with his own eyes as God had promised. He hadn't lost hope. He was waiting patiently, He was expectant, he was faithful, and he was holding on tightly to what God had said to him. Verse 26 says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the the Lord's Messiah. God had spoken to him, and he was faithfully and patiently waiting for this to be fulfilled. He was waiting in hope, waiting in hope to that God would answer and God would show him and would God allow him to see the Messiah as he had promised. Luke doesn't tell us how long Simeon was waiting. We don't don't know very much about him, but we kind kind of implies from the scripture that he was an old man and therefore he was waiting a long time. Simeon was patiently and faithfully waiting. Yet imagine that this wait for him must have seemed seemed as if it would never end. If you're, ever in a, if you're in a situation like that today where you're waiting and you've been waiting a long time and it just seems like, will this never end? He probably had a lot of opportunities for doubt or question or to question where God was in all of this. Probably over the years there would have been many people popping up to claiming to be the Messiah, raising false hope among the people, trying to overthrow the government, but none of them succeeded. And in all of this, Simeon was quietly and patiently waiting for God's saving power to come in the form of the Messiah. He was waiting, he was hoping, he was longing until one day. Verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." The Holy Spirit had prompted Simeon to go to the camp temple courts at just the right time, on just the right day when Joseph and Mary were bringing their baby and their infant child to the temple. And when Simeon looked at this baby Jesus, he was about six weeks old, he knew that God's promise had been kept right there and there. 
It's maybe not what he was expecting. He maybe expected this great warrior Messiah, but he came in the form of a baby. But Simeon was so close, he was hearing God, he recognized that this was Emmanuel. This little baby was God with us. He had come to make everything right, to provide significance by his presence, and to bring salvation to all people. Simeon recognized it, and he celebrated what he saw, and the God had fulfilled his promise. Can you imagine how he felt? He reached down all these years of waiting. Verse 28 says that he, he reached down and he took Jesus out of Mary's arms. And he began to praise God. He began to praise that he had seen this. They had waited all these years and now he held this baby in his arms. He held the Messiah in his arms. The fulfillment of the promise was there in front of him and he praised and he celebrated. He celebrated what he was seeing. It actually must have looked really weird that maybe freaked Mary and Joseph out a little bit that some strange old man had come up and had taken their baby and started singing. But they, they recognized God in that moment. And Simeon prophesied and he spoke out in praise. And he acknowledged not, just not that God had fulfilled the promise to him, not only had God fulfilled the promise to him, but also the promise of these ancient prophets to send the anointed one to save all people. And here he was in the form of a baby in Simeon's arms. That day in the temple was the appointed time when Simeon saw the promise God had made to him fulfilled. That was the right time and the longing and the promise had been fulfilled. It was the right time and he was ready. That's really key. Simeon was ready. He was holding on in faith. He had hope and he was in the right place at the right time to see God fulfill his promise. God's timing is perfect. And that may be hard for some of us to hear. It's maybe hard for some of us to understand when we've been waiting on God or we've been in a situation that seems like, will this never end? But God's timing is perfect. And I want to give you a couple of little phrases that kind of help uh, understand a little bit about God's timing. And these are like shorts. These are like the, the Twitter version of uh, a sermon. And there's, there's three things. The first one is this. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. That's a hard one. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. Secondly, when it is God's time, you can't stop it. And thirdly, just because you haven't seen it does not mean God is not going to do it. Let me say those again. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it is God's time, you can't stop it. And just because you haven't seen it does not mean that God is not going to do it. And there's something really liberating in these simple little statements. Because how often have I, in my impatience and my frustration at God seemingly not doing anything in my situation, I've charged on ahead, I've tried to force something to happen, only to realize that it wasn't the right time. And I've ended up in a mess, or I've ended up living with the consequences of trying to mop up the mess of me acting too soon or at the wrong time. And rather saying to God, okay, God, I trust you in this. I don't understand it, but I trust your timing. And when the time is right, you will fulfill your promise. That is a hard lesson to learn. And there's many of us are going through situations 
where we're wondering, God, where are you in this? When are you going to answer? When am I going to see change? When are you going to see you come? And it's really hard because waiting is hard, isn't it? And it gets harder the longer we wait. Any of you in that position will know. Most of us would rather do anything except wait. Every now and then I like to do something that will challenge me. And uh, I love sweets, and I love chocolate, and I love cakes. And uh, last month I decided to cut out sugar from my diet for the month of November. I did this last year. I did this last year. It's kind of preparation for Christmas, so I can kind of go crazy. But I did it it last year, and... uh, like, I'm, I'm strange and, like, weird. Even in the midst of this, it was all about getting this over and getting to the end of this month. And I missed some of the things that were happening in me and what I was looking at myself. So I went the whole month without sugar. I was really good. I was really disciplined. And it was really hard because I got such a sweet tooth. So I made it to the end. And what did I do at the end of this month? I ate a whole box of heroes. A whole box. I'd saved up a whole month's sweets and I ate them and one go, what does that say about me? But I did suffer for it, I tell you. So yesterday, I finished off my month without sugar. And I was determined I wasn't going to do the same as last year, so I didn't buy any sweets. There was no heroes in there, no boxes of sweets in the house. And everything was going well until a couple of weeks ago when my mum gave us a Christmas cake. Now, I love Christmas cake and I especially love my mum's Christmas cake, homemade, just gorgeous. And it was torturing me. I knew this Christmas cake was in the house. I'd walk into the kitchen, there it was, tempting me every day. Eat me, eat me. (laughs) And for two weeks, I had to look at that tin, longing, longing just to taste its moist texture. And it was hard. It was really hard. Thanks for praying for me. I really did. I was very appreciative. But I disciplined myself and I made it through the month. So yesterday, as a treat for fasting from sugar, I made a massive mug of tea. I got out the tin. I lifted out this cake, beautifully wrapped in uh, brown paper. I set it on the cutting board. I unwrapped it. And with saliva drooling by my cheeks, I cut myself a big slice of cake. And I sat down and I ate it all. (laughs) Not all the cake, just, (laughs) just a slice. And it was so good. It was worth the wait. You know, learning to wait, well, it goes against everything in our culture, our instant culture. But there's so many things that we can only learn and can only be developed in us when we have to wait. And we all need to get this because at some point in our lives, at many points and many times in our lives, we're going to have to wait on God because God is never in a hurry. And even though at many times we are. Learning to wait is key. So how do we do that? How do we wait well? And what do we do while we're waiting? And over the next few weeks, as he said, the next four weeks we're going to stop to reflect in Advent. As we remember the coming of Jesus, as we long for his coming again, and as we cry out for his presence to come and invade our lives and our family and our city and those around us. How should we approach this time? And Rick Warren gives 
I think, three really helpful insights in how to wait well. And I think these are things that could really help us over the next few weeks as engaged in this time of waiting. And the first is this. Waiting is a time of preparation. You know, there's so often God wants to do things in our lives and he wants to do stuff in us to prepare us for what he has for us. God wants to do things in us to prepare us for what he has for us. You know, we may think we're ready. We may think, right, I'm ready to go, God. I can handle this. We may not want to wait, but there's times when God says we're not ready and he calls us to wait for what is coming up next and he wants to do something in our lives. God wants to develop the fruits of the the spirit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of those things characteristics that are so few and far between in this generation, in the society that we live in. And they don't come easily. Like fruit, it takes time to grow. It's got to be cultivated. It doesn't happen instantly or without challenge or pain or waiting. The indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit in our lives, working in us to make us more Christ-like, developing love and joy and peace and patience and all of those things. And how does he do it? Well, he wants to build love. So how does he build love in our lives? He puts some unlovely people around us so we can learn to love better. Being there. He teaches you real joy by allowing you to be in situations where your joy doesn't depend on your circumstances but depends on him. How does he teach you peace? He puts you in a place of chaos. can identify with that. He teaches patience by making us wait. The exact opposite of those qualities are how he works them out in our lives. Waiting is a time of preparation. Secondly, waiting is a time for meditation. It's a time to sit alone, to be quiet, to think about God, to pray, to read scripture, and to listen. God wants us to know him deeper. And deep relationships aren't formed in crowds or in big parties. Deep relationships are formed one to one in intimacy and closeness. And when we get to that place where we settle ourselves, as Stu so brilliantly challenged us uh, last week, when we get rid of distractions, when we set aside distractions and allow God's voice to speak to us, When we're waiting, we're preparing our hearts. We're cultivating our lives to receive as we meditate on Jesus. Being quiet and waiting for God so we can get to know him better and we can hear his voice. And as Judy said, to help you, uh, I'd really encourage you to engage with the devotions that we're sending out uh, very soon today. They're really brilliant. I've read through this week. The guys have done a fantastic job. I would really encourage you to engage, engage with these in this time of waiting. Really, as I said, we really feel God is speaking to us as a community, that, he is, that we're in a time of waiting, that he's preparing us for what he wants to do next. And I would really encourage you, imagine all of us as a community engaging with God over the next four weeks, what he will say to us, what he will encourage us about, what he will show us, and I, there will be much fruit comes out of this in the years to come as God speaks to us, as we seek his presence, and as we wait on him. So I would really encourage you, if you haven't signed up, please do sign up for those devotionals. And make it our goal 
to get to know God. If God hasn't answered you yet, ask him to help you know him better. Spend time with him. uh, Pray, talk to him, read scripture, listen to him, dream with him, ask him what he's doing in us in preparation for what he wants to do next through us. Ask him to help us to get to know him better. So waiting involves preparation, waiting, waiting involves meditation, and finally waiting is a time for cooperation. You know, so often we can kick back and fight and try and change things when they're not going the way we want or God is seemingly distant or not responding to the way we think he should. God is looking for surrender, to surrender to him and to trust him and acknowledge that he is in control. That's easy to say, but in situations where we think God has distant or God's not doing what he's doing, it makes it really difficult. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's a place of a surrender. It's a place of freedom and putting an understanding that God is in control. If we can get that in our hearts, if we can get the revelation of that, that God is in the crow, it changes everything. It changes how we look at our circumstances. It changes how we look around us and see what is happening to those, to in us and to those around us. God is looking for us to surrender to him, to trust him and to acknowledge that he is in control. Getting to the place where we can say, Lord, I just want to cooperate with you. I don't understand it, but I believe you are faithful and I know and I believe that you are good. Despite my circumstances, I believe that you are good and that you are in control. It may not look like it, but I believe that you're working it out and I'm trusting you to work in your timing. And in the meantime, I want to trust you more and I want to surrender to you. I want to finish quickly with just a few verses from Romans 5. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Wow. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. There's a progression that we go to go through to develop us into people of hope. And it's really only when we're in those circumstances, those difficult circumstances, that we can truly understand and have this revelation that we can bring, that we can feel hope, that we can see hope, that we can speak hope when we've been through that, and we can bring hope to others. It's only we're going through those difficult and challenging circumstances. When we fear, when we persevere, it brings character, and the fruit of the character is hope. Hope is the hallmark of people, of characters, and we are characters of hope. If you're in a place where it feels hopeless, or you don't have hope, maybe God isn't finished yet. Keep going. I encourage you to keep pressing on. Don't give up. God has more to do in you.
And it's only when we go through difficult circumstances that we see what we actually put our hope in. When life's going well, yeah, we, we don't really see what we put our hope in. We can put our hope in education, in our career, in money, in our marriage, in our family, in our friends, in our church, in the housing market, in the stock market, in government. There's so many things that we can put our hope in. But the problem is all of these are volatile. All of these can fail. All of these can let us down. And ultimately, if things, our hope is not in things or in people, or systems. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope comes from the one who loved us so much that he came into this world as a baby that we're celebrating and we're looking forward to. He lived to sin this life. He died on the cross to bring us freedom and he rose again and to bring a new life in which he invites us all to participate in. Our hope is in Jesus. He is enough. He is sufficient. He is all we need. That's easy to say. The foundation of our faith and the source of our hope is the person of Jesus. And this journey over the next four weeks, it's a journey of seeking him again, of longing for him, of asking him to develop and increase his presence in our lives, as we engage with him, as we wait for him, and as he restores our hope. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, we just uh, take a minute to, to worship you today. take a minute to worship you Lord and Lord I pray for us as a community that this would be a season when as we draw close to you Lord that we would see your presence increase in our lives Lord that peace and love and joy and hope would rise up in us Lord for those of us that are going through difficult circumstances Lord where you seem distant where you seem far away where it seems like you haven't answered. Lord, I pray for each one of us, Lord, as we engage with you, as we seek you, Lord, that you would build hope in our hearts again. And Lord, we're so grateful. Lord, we welcome you. We say thank you. And Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for all you've done. Thank you, Lord. Amen.